This is a podcast about Jeopardy. Hello and welcome to Potent Potables, your weekly Jeopardy podcast where two former competitors bring you recaps and analysis of the week's Jeopardy episodes, a deep dive into a topic inspired by one of those episodes, and a quiz. I'm Kyle. And I'm Emily. And this is the week of April 18th through 22nd. Uh, 2022. How are you doing, Kyle? Oh, I'm doing all right. I'm getting getting that uh, end of school year tired. Where mm. we just have a just have a lot going on every every week. We have at least one performance, and you know everything's everything's coming due right now because mm. we, we got to spend our budgets before the before such and such a date, and then that is when I have to figure out. Oh, how much do I actually have in my budget? Because they told me one thing, and then they told me another. And then they're like, actually, you have this much. And then I try to spend it, and they're like, oh, no, you actually have this much. I'm like, cool. Could you just give me a number? Or uh, just put me in charge of my budget? I know that's I know that's that, a wild thing to suggest. And with public funding, that gets into a lot of legal stuff. But mm. but there's that, and then just, yeah, it's just a, there's just going to be a lot coming up. But it's good. <laughs> yeah how yeah. are you uh, uh i'm okay a lot of stuff coming up also but i'm on that i'm on that northeastern school calendar so the end of the school year <laughs> is not coming up it is still years away it is it is so far in the future i can't say it, it's about two months away it's like two months and what like four days something mm, oh no like two months and one day okay yeah i guess we're like nine weeks out mm-hmm. from the end of the school year. Um, but uh, Little League is uh, starting up and seemingly every child in uh, both of my children's classes uh, will be having a birthday in the, about the next two and a half weeks. <laughs> um, so it's uh, <laughs> it's going to be fun, but a little hectic around here. Uh, but hey, there were some Jeopardy games this week. Um, so there were indeed. Yeah. And um, we've got Matea Roach still with us. And on Monday, April 18th, um, with Ken Jennings hosting, we had Sarah McGrath, a business manager from New York, New York. Very nice. Caitlin Hayes, a musician and educator from North Vancouver, British Columbia, Canada. And Matea Roach, a tutor from Toronto, Ontario, Canada, whose nine-day cash winnings at this point total $210,802. And we have the categories World Leaders, Fantasy Fiction, Out of, with an ellipsis, Pillow Talk, Smith and Jones, and Vigorous Vocab. And the $200 level of Vigorous Vocab was, uh, was clearly a shout-out. Yes. Uh, it can mean powerful or influential, you know, like certain potables. And, yes. Uh, Caitlin got that. That's potent. So thank you. Yes. Yes, indeed. Jeopardy writer or writers who listen. Mm-hmm. Um, wink, wink. Yeah. Matt Carberry tweeted at us or, or tagged us or whatever. I don't I don't oh. <laughs> I don't understand Twitter uh, in response to that clue uh, saying potent like certain potables or you know, potables. <laughs> um, yeah. So I, I appreciate, I appreciate it. 
Yes. Uh, it's it's I don't I, I feel like I still don't really understand Twitter. Like I try to I try to run the Twitter, but um I don't know that anybody understands Twitter. Yeah. But anyway, I like when people tweet at us. Yeah. I um, do too. It's nice as long as they're tweeting nice things. Yes. Yes, only uh, or you know, I I I uh I appreciate a kind and respectful correction. That's fine. Um, oh yeah. Oh, that's yeah. that's fair. That's true. Yeah. A good a, a correction. Yeah. Uh, or even a disagreement, as long as it's not an ad hominem kind of thing. Yeah. yeah even that's sure. fine. Mm-hmm. Engaging in, in conversation is nice. Yeah. They had kind of a hard time with this fantasy fiction category. Yeah, they did. They were able to identify what Blanca and Roja mean. I wasn't familiar with the work there, but I... I you know, I got it. Yeah, it's pretty simple language. Spanish. Yeah. yeah, and they knew that the sword in the stone is the first volume of the Once and Future King. Mm-hmm. Nobody knew what book comes after a Game of Thrones and a Clash of Kings. They were given the hint that it's a blustery and bloody volume. Um, it's a storm of swords. Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. that is the book where you find the Red Wedding. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, we've, yes. <laughs> we've we've talked, talked about, about that recently. <laughs> yes. Uh, did not feel good. And the 400 above that, set in ancient China, a hero born by Jin Yong takes place in a world where this martial art is practiced magically. Caitlin guessed what is karate, but the answer was kung fu, uh, which are different things. Yes. I was having a hard time remembering which one was Chinese. Um, and then I remembered that pandas are chinese and that kung fu panda is a thing sure and that was how i got there (laughs) i understand that that's a roundabout way to access that piece of information but if it gets you there it's fair yeah daily double number one is in the world leaders category it's a pick number three that's where uh, matea started the game it's at the six hundred dollar level uh she is the only one with money she has 600 and she wagers a thousand and gets the clue otto von bismarck was this germanic nation's prime minister from 1862 to 1890 with a brief break around 1873 and she gets it correct with what is prussia mm-hmm. then the rest of the round continues and it's actually fairly close at the end of the jeopardy round matea is in second place at 5000 caitlin is at 3800 and sarah is at 5200 and we have the double jeopardy categories west of the mississippi geology art on commission airlines actors on broadway and one e double e i'm a little perplexed by the actors on broadway category title um because because all of them actors I think that what they're trying to get at is that these are actors you know from the screen who appeared, in this case, on the stage. Right. But but anyone people, who is on people Broadway. who appear on Broadway are also actors. So. I mean, I don't know. Yeah. Uh, you would be the expert. Yeah. Living so close to it. I'm pretty sure that they like to be called <laughs> actors. Not thespians. <laughs> I'm not sure I've met many who like to be called th- 
thespians. <laughs> so yeah, I feel like they could have come up with maybe a better title for that category, but it was even an okay sc- category. Yeah, or even screen actors on Broadway. Yeah. Like from screen to stage. Which I'm pretty sure they've done that category before. Yeah. Something like that. Yeah, uh-huh. they could have done it. That was an interesting interesting choice. Yeah. I mean, it's not, you know, it's not incorrect. Yeah. Because they are no, they actors. Are, they're actors. It just is, it, it seems to be drawing a distinction. Yeah. Like, be more not, specific. Yeah. I was briefly thrown by the wording of the $400 clue. In 2018, Broadway's Sorting Hat placed this actor in the lifespan of a fact as Jim. Um, that was Daniel Radcliffe and Matea got it. Uh, and of course, the Sorting Hat reference was supposed to point us toward Harry Potter, because that's where we probably know Daniel Radcliffe from. Um, right. But it took me a second to figure out what they were doing there. They didn't want to make a reference to his nudity in Equus. I I mean, I don't think they've generally shied away from that. I feel like it comes up. <laughs> no, I, th- I think so. Yeah, I feel like they've mentioned it. But I guess it's he also was Harry Potter. Some people might forget that. So. <laughs> Daily Double number two is in the airlines category at the $1,200 level, and Matea finds it at the fifth pick. She has 6600 at this point to Caitlin's 4600 and Sarah's 5200 She wagers 3200 I'm not sure where that number's coming from for her, but that's a fine number. Great number. And she gets a clue. A shamrock has been the emblem of this airline for over 80 years, and she knows that it is Aer Lingus. And then, as she likes to do after every Daily Double, she notes that she should have wagered more. (laughs) Yeah, it's a tradition now. She can't change. (laughs) Yeah. It's okay. She's she's doing fine. She's doing fine. Oh, of course. Yeah, yeah. She has the the flexibility there. Um, And Daily Double number three is at pick number 14. It's in the Art on Commission category at the $800 level. Uh, Matea finds this one as well. She's up to 12,600, Caitlin is at 8,200, and Sarah's at 7,200, and she wagers 3,000. And the clue is, it was Leonardo da Vinci's patron Ludovico Sforza who commissioned this work painted on the wall of a monastery in Milan. And uh, she gets that correct. She looks like she's guessing, but she said, what's the Last Supper? And that is that is correct. Mm-hmm. Uh, so at the end of the Double Jeopardy round... Matea's in the lead with 20,800. Uh, it's not a lock. Sarah's at 12,400. Caitlin's at 9,800. And we have the final Jeopardy category, World Literature. And the clue, befitting the title, Antoine Galland, the first Western translator of this collection, worked on it only after dinner. Caitlin got this one correct with What is Arabian Nights? And she's wagered 2,000. That's, oh, I had not caught this until now. She should have gone bigger here. Mm. Um, yeah, because it's not a lot game. We're expecting Matea to wager 4,000 or so, which means if she misses, which is Caitlin's only chance of winning, she's going to drop down to... 16 8 or so and so we're look. caitlin should really be making a big wager caitlin honestly should should go all in or almost all in um because the only way that she can win from third is if she's the only one to get it right 
And conditional on getting it right, you want to have wagered everything. Mm-hmm. So yeah, all in or just about all is the is the play here. Anyway, that brings Caitlin up to eleven thousand eight hundred. Uh, Sarah tried what is dessert stories. <laughs> <laughs> I like that. <laughs> uh, she's wagered 9,000. Sarah also has to get it right to win, unless Matea has miswagered. So, you know, that's that's bigger than necessary, but I think an okay wager drops her down to 3,400. Uh, so she'll finish behind Caitlin. And Matea has missed it. Um, she was going for Midnight's Children. Is that a Salmon Rushdie work? I think it is. It was recently a clue in the last month or so. Uh, maybe that's why it's in Matea's head. Yeah, Rushdie is 20th century, so that's not going to work with the rest of the clue. But maybe a similar vibe, mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, you know? Um, Matea's wagered 4001 That drops her down to 16799 Um, But given the wagering situation, she still gets that win. And on Tuesday, April 19th, we have the contestants Josh Sen, a student from Edison, New Jersey, Tina DeShulo-Acker, a manager of development events from Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, and Matea Roach, a tutor from Toronto, Ontario, Canada, whose 10-day cash winnings are now $227,601. And the Jeopardy round categories are Let's Get Scientific, The ABCs of Indian Food, Possessive Things, Nonfiction Television, Rhyme time, and I see you there. Um, I don't know if I've talked... I'm pretty sure I've talked about this on the podcast. In the Possessive Things category at the $800 level, Dido's Lament is an aria sung by a Carthaginian queen after this Trojan hero abandons her. Uh, Josh got it correct. That's Aeneas. Um, And that's in Henry Purcell's opera, Dido and Aeneas. Mm -hmm. And I think I've talked about how just absolutely boring Dido and Aeneas is. Mm. It is it is so boring. <laughs> it's just I mean it's Baroque opera, so it's, it's a hot gonna take. be Yeah, yeah. Got him four hundred years ago. But uh <laughs> man, it's bad. Yeah. <laughs> oh, it's so boring. <laughs> I don't know that I can disagree or agree. Okay. Uh, it's I the reason I it. don't like Purcell. Hmm. I don't okay. like his music. And you know what? I'm not going to apologize for it mm. until he comes out of his grave and makes me. Mm. I, I'd like to see that happen. Um, I, I would not. That would be Because <laughs> it would. Uh, Daily Double number one is in the Let's Get Scientific category at the $800 level. And Josh finds it as the 14th pick. Uh, he has 1800 to Matea's 2200 and Tina's 600 and he makes it a true daily double which is a good move here and uh, gets the clue showing great steadfastness in 2021 NASA landed this 2.7 billion dollar rover on Mars a mere 127 million miles away Uh, and Josh kind of freezes up he doesn't know Um, the perseverance is the uh, 2021 Mars rover NASA does a nice job with naming. They do. I mean, they have a lot of time to figure it out through their project development, but they do a good job. Um, and they were they were trying to point toward perseverance with showing great steadfastness was the 
Curiosity the one before that? How many Mars rovers have there been? Curiosity was the one before that. Yeah. I knew this one, but as previously discussed, I I listen every week to Dear Hank and John, the the Green Brothers uh, sort of advice podcast. And at the at the end every week, um, John gives us an update on his his favorite uh, football slash soccer team, AFC Wimbledon, and Hank tells us what's happening with Mars. So I <laughs> I get weekly updates on Mars. Um, there you go. Yeah. So that, that helps some. No wrong way to know a thing. Yeah. So at the end of the Jeopardy round, uh, Matea's in the lead with 5,600. Josh has exactly half her total with 2,800. And Tina has exactly half of his with 1,400. So that's fun. Um, we have the double Jeopardy categories, April Fool's. My Literary Creations, Policing and Punishments, Religion in the 13th Century, The Cast of the Movie, and I See You There, I See You in quotation marks, um, which is kind of a callback to I See You There uh, in the previous round, which was mm. photographs of locations. Uh, yeah, those will be words that contain the letters I See You in that order. I seem to recall having some quibbles with with clue selection mm. in this round you know there's never going to be uh two daily doubles in the same category mm -hmm. um and so if you need to find a daily double um or you want to find a daily double you need to stay away from any category that already has had a daily double right which the contestants did not do in this case. Um, nope. But, you know, that's okay. Yeah. I mean, they played their game. Yeah. We had a kind of a tricky rebound at, in the very first pick of the round. Uh, in my literary creations at the $400 level, the clue was Rachel Chu and Nick Young dealing with a wealth of problems in multiple novels. And Tina tried what is crazy rich Asians. And was ruled incorrect. And then Matea got the rebound with who is Kevin Kwan. They were looking for the author, not the work. Yeah. Yeah. But so, after that, they got the rest of it. Yeah. Yeah, category. they did well. They did well once they knew, you know, kind of how that category worked. Mm-hmm. Obviously, they knew this was going to be, the show would be airing in April. Uh, so the April Fool's. Mm -hmm. category makes sense um but they were just a couple days off on the 800 dollars level a million people left 100 tons of trash in new york's central park at an april 22nd 1990 celebration of this day hmm and that's earth day mm. <laughs> you new yorkers and you're littering mm -hmm. yeah although i will keep on saying it forever that shifting the focus of environmentalism from the systems, corporations, governments, infrastructure, all of that stuff to the individual consumer is a con. Mm. Uh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, for sure. Yeah. I yeah. mean, they shouldn't have been littering. Right. But me driving to work instead of biking to work today is not the thing that is right. tipping the scale. Mm-hmm anyway yeah that's sleight of hand the term carbon footprint was invented by an oil company to make you feel bad for using the thing you buy from them mm -hmm. it's about taking your eye off of the ball 
Um, anyway, that's enough for me today. Daily double number two is in the I see you there category. It's at the $1,200 level. Pick number 17, and Josh finds this one uh, as well. Uh, he's gotten himself up to 7200 Matea's at 14000 Tina's at 4600 He wagers 3000 I personally would have gone bigger. There are 13 mm-hmm. clues left on the board. Matea is almost twice your twice your score. If you want to get in a chance of like getting into final in the lead, this is your moment. Mm-hmm. Uh, but he gets a clue. In a friendly legal term, it precedes brief. But he does not come up with anything, and that is amicus. Mm-hmm. Amicus curiae. Yes. Um, so he doesn't drop to zero, which is good. Yeah. Yeah, these daily doubles have not been his friend. No. Uh, yeah. And uh, the third daily double is the very last pick, 30th at the $2,000 level of religion in the 13th century. And Matea finds it. She has 14,000 to Tina's 7,000 and Josh's 8,600. And she takes her time with the math as well she should and asks if she may wager 3,400. She's so Canadian. (laughs) And I guess she, I think that Ken, Ken had to like, I think prompt her to wager. Like they, like they need a firm commitment on the wager for like, Legal for like reasons. legal purposes yeah, yeah. yeah can i wager this you can you need to do it though <laughs> so w- w- once she's once she's got that wager locked in she gets the clue the oldest known manuscript uh, of the avesta a sacred text of this ancient religion of persia was produced around 1258 and she knows that is zoroastrianism um and for once she doesn't say that she should have wagered more because she has wagered just fine. Uh, yeah. She's at 17,400. That is a lock position uh, because Josh is at 8,600. Um, so she is 200 above his maximum. That's right. Yeah. Tina's at 7,000. So for Final Jeopardy, those are the scores. And they get the categories countries of Africa. And the clue, old maps depicting what's now this 125,000 square mile country labeled the area with the French word for teeth. Uh, this was a triple stumper. It was fairly challenging. I spent a lot of time trying to picture how big 125,000 square miles uh-huh. is. Yeah. Uh, which is just not not useful. Yeah, no. At all. Turns <laughs> like out not. that's not really what you need to be focusing on here. Right. Because when it comes to the size of Africa, it's actually pretty small. Tina wrote, what is dent? Not a bad start, mm-hmm. uh, but that's incorrect. Wagered 5,000. Josh wrote, what is Sudan? Which I thought was a decent guess. And wagered nothing, which is interesting. But Matea was in a lock position, so maybe he thought that was the best shot for getting second place. Mm-hmm. And Matea wrote, what is Mali? That's also incorrect. Wagered 119. That is the Ivory Coast. Cote yes. Uh, yeah, and once Ken sort of revealed the reasoning. It makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Elephant tusks. Yeah. Ton of sense. <laughs> but before that, I was like, man, what am I, I how am I supposed to get there? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was trying to think of something that might have, like, jagged edges, like like the teeth of, like, a, you know, a saw. Um, yeah. I, yeah, I did not make the connection at all. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, on Wednesday, April 20th. We have the contestants Sean Wong, an IT support student from Wayzata, Minnesota. 
Lonnie Lewis, a teacher librarian from Charleston, South Carolina, and Matea Roach, a tutor from Toronto, Ontario, Canada, whose 11-day cash winnings total 244882 And we have the Jeopardy round categories, the league leader, Beach Bay B, uh, that is Beach, comma, Bay, and then B in quotation marks. <laughs> Actors initially, theatrical happenings, we are Swole Mates and The Hunger Names. They went hard for the puns here on this, yeah. on this board. I don't mind it. I really like the name the We Are Swole Mates. Mm-hmm. I like that a lot. Yeah, that was fun. That was all about working out muscles. Mm-hmm. I knew all of them. Nice. If you could get in shape by knowing things. <laughs> Goodness, we'd be, we'd be so... <laughs> we'd be ripped. Yep. <laughs> be utterly yoked but in, alas it turns out that knowing the names of all of the muscles doesn't really matter that much uh if at you... least in that regard yeah and the hunger names i enjoyed that one too i learned why we call it a continental breakfast at the 200 dollars level yeah. this type of breakfast got its name from the idea that other europeans ate lighter in the morning than brits did which makes sense if you consider a full english mm-hmm. that's that's more than a breakfast that is a a, a daily commitment i would yeah. say there is there is something about a full english that's like well i have set myself on a path for this day and i cannot deviate now yeah just from the amount of food that there is mm-hmm. uh, the continental Although, makes sense a full english is more balanced i would argue than how we generally do continental breakfasts in america at least right like yeah you know what i mean like it's like oh it's a light breakfast like a muffin a danish a glass of orange juice like that that is a that's a lot of carbs and not much else (laughs) and nothing else um that's fair yeah whereas a full english you are you are getting yourself ready for a there are tomatoes in there yeah yeah there are mushrooms (laughs) a full day of potentially not eating anymore (laughs) yeah but the mre at 800 dollars level mre is officially short for this the soldiers have referred to them as meals rejected by everyone uh that's meals ready to eat that was a triple stumper i guess none of them had uh, a dad who grew up in the military and always threatened you with mres if you didn't like the food on the table I yeah maybe that's, that's not a universal that's experience. That's not that's not something that I have any experience with. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> right, Daily double number 1 is pretty late in the round. It is pick number 26 at the $2000 level of theatrical happenings. Matea finds it. She is at 7400, Lonnie is at 1000 and Sean is at 200. Uh she wagers 2400 and gets the clue the sound of an axe tearing into a grove can be heard near the end of this 1904 russian play and she gets correct with what is the cherry orchard and she ran the entire category mm-hmm. and made another comment about needing to wager more <laughs> so at the end of the jeopardy round matea is up to eleven thousand. lonnie is at 1000 and sean is at 1200 Lonnie and Sean hardly even got in on the buzzer mm-hmm. and yeah. even then couldn't get things going. Uh, we have the double jeopardy categories, European literature, the scientist who dot, 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 the singer's country of birth, not too sexy for you with 
as Ken pointed out, very uncomfortably, S-E-X in every correct response. (laughs) Captain America and I can do this all day. Which, for those of you who might not get it, that's one of Captain America's lines. Mm -hmm. We had a, uh, a rough double jeopardy round for for two of the contestants for the challengers yeah Yeah. this was this was an unusual round i just kind of assumed this was a thing that everybody was aware of at least if we consider ourselves nerds but there was a triple stumper in the scientist category at the 1600 dollars level uh the scientist who as the hayden planetarium's director grouped Pluto with the Kuiper Belt objects and not as a planet. That was Neil deGrasse Tyson. If you haven't read The Pluto Files by Neil deGrasse Tyson, it is a very, very interesting book. It explains the reasoning behind it, behind the... Not even reclass... Well, I mean, there is there has been a reclassification of Pluto since then, but the initial choice by the Hayden Planetarium to group Pluto in with Kuiper Belt objects rather than quote-unquote planets is because it's not... A terrestrial planet like Mercury, Venus, Earth, and Mars. And it's not a gas giant like Jupiter, Saturn, Uranus, and Neptune. It's really an icy body like other icy bodies in the Kuiper Belt. Mm. So that's why they did it. Not to say this isn't a planet, but like it is now grouped with similar objects. But the book is really interesting. And it goes through like the whole saga of... And then I got a bunch of letters from children at, in, in you know elementary schools across the country who thought I was a mean guy for taking away Pluto because they love Pluto. And like it goes through the whole the whole drama of it. It's really interesting. I, I haven't read it. Um, but that sounds that does sound interesting. It's a quick read. So. Yeah. We had um sort of a funny sequence of misses in the not-too-sexy-for-you category at 1,600 and 2,000. Uh, 1,600, lots of smart people in this Massachusetts county, home to MIT and Tufts. Uh, Matea tried what is Sexton. Sean tried what is Sussex. Lonnie tried what is Essex. None of those were correct. Middlesex County mm-hmm. is uh, where you'll find MIT and Tufts. And then at the $2,000 level, the hotel now called the JW Marriott This House has welcomed guests in Midtown Manhattan since 1931. I, I did not know it, even though this is a New York clue. Um, but this is this is Essex, which was Lonnie's guess on the previous, previous clue. clue. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Daily Double number two is in the Captain America category at the $1,600 level, and Sean finds it at the 11th pick. Uh, he has 4,800. Matea's at 14,200. Lonnie's at 1,400. He makes it a true Daily Double which really is the thing to do in this mm-hmm. situation. Absolutely. That is, that is not a bad move. He gets the clue, Dean Acheson's memoir is dedicated to this former boss, the captain with the mighty heart. And he has no idea and ends up guessing Sully, which... From Monsters, Inc. Yes. Uh, the Yes, Sully from Monsters, Inc. Uh, Sully, the, the, I'm try- he's trying to come up with I'm trying to come up with now with the actual like full name of the the guy who Sullenberger, yes, the the guy who landed the the plane on the Hudson River. He so that's that's not correct, and he's past the the time. They were looking for Harry Truman, 
Atchison was Truman's Secretary of State, apparently, which I did not know. Yeah, I did not remember that. I recognized the name, but I couldn't, couldn't place yeah, it. Yeah, just got a, got a tough clue there, I would say. Yep. And uh, Daily Double number three is at pick number uh, 27. Very late in the round. It's in the scientist category at the $1,200 level, and Matea finds it. She is at 21400 Lonnie is at negative 600 Sean is at negative 2000 And Matea only wagers 2000 I mean, it, in, in my mind, you know, there are three clues left on the board. Mm-hmm. At best, like, I mean, you've got I just, you know, rough math off the top of my head. You've got $13,000, $14,000 to play with. Uh-huh. <laughs> like, go, I would go, go big, big here. Go yeah, big. Yeah, go big. Your lock is absolutely assured but she wagers 2000 gets the clue the scientist who was born into slavery but got his bachelor's in agricultural science in 1894 and she gets it correct with who is george washington carver yeah and uh notes that she did not learn her lesson should have wagered more yeah and uh the other two contestants do not recover um in those last three clues in my house we were like yelling at the screen for the last few clues because uh that's where we get the neil degrasse tyson triple stumper and then blaze pascal yep sean gets the 400 i can do this all day with yo-yo um which i guess brings him up to negative 1600 and then we have that two thousand dollar clue which matea misses the scientist who has his own principle of pressure and has a computer language named after him named for him and neither of the contestants try it and we were like we were like shouting at the at the at the screen like just ring in and guess something guess yeah. anything you know yeah. like it's, say it's Smith, your it's your only say shot. jones say johnson say you know like I don't know, like whatever you can come up with, right? Like what is the worst that could happen? You know, if you're yeah. already in the negative and if you happen to pull the right name, you can move into the positive and be, you know, on stage for final jeopardy. Like there's just no, there's no downside, but you know, neither of them attempted it. Sure. Which, I mean, it's a daunting situation to be in. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah it would be tough no matter what. So. Yeah. Anyway. So at the end of the double jeopardy round, Matea has 21,400. Lonnie and Sean are both in the red. Lonnie at negative 600. Sean at negative 1,600. So Sean will finish in third place and Lonnie in second place. And Matea is alone on the stage for Final Jeopardy, (laughs) Uh, which apparently happened after we started making this podcast most recently. Uh, yeah. Although I don't especially remember it. I also don't remember it. October 13th, 2020. I'm going to have to go back and listen to that episode or something. I don't know. Like, yeah. We, did we take a week off? I don't remember talking about it, but hey, that's weird. Um, Mateo's alone on the stage. Uh, the final Jeopardy category is on the internet. And the clue is this website launched in 2015 with three offerings from James Patterson Dustin Hoffman and Serena Williams. And uh, Matea knows that it is Masterclass uh, and she's wagered 5,000. I should have gotten it, but somehow my brain went to 
cameo like that that service where oh, you can like yeah. get a celebrity to like make a little like greeting video for your loved one for you know a <laughs> birthday gift sized amount of money yeah or whatever yeah. yeah yeah and i i mean even though i've seen like ads for masterclass with serena williams i just i just thought of the wrong thing it was like oh yeah that seems right Matea could have gone bigger with this wager too uh yeah. <laughs> she could bet literally anything. Yep. But that's yeah. fine. That's okay. Anyway, that gives her the win. Yeah, so on Thursday, we have the contestants Megan Bowman, an IT analyst from Mount Prospect, Illinois, Alex Lemberg, an attorney and activist from San Francisco, California, and Matea Roach, a tutor from Toronto, Ontario, Canada, whose 12-day winnings are now $271,282. And we have the Jeopardy Round categories, California, book title geography, think big with big in quotation marks, that's not canon, a golf course, and also found in the kitchen. And that's not canon was about uh, weapons that are not cannons. Yeah. (laughs) I am very annoyed by the idea. So in the $800 clue, I learned that uh, the Lateran Council... Uh, decreed that crossbows were not to be used on Christians. Which, like, just really... I feel I feel like some people sort of missed the moral of the story, you know? <laughs> um, what do you like, mean? Oh, uh, in that... Sorry, this is... I'm, I'm uh, not being clear, I guess. That if a weapon is not appropriate for use on people who share a religion with you then that religion would teach you shouldn't be using it on anyone or maybe using weapons at all you know but i I, like i understand we live in the world and there are wars and you know whatever but yeah hurt yeah hurting people is bad right so like you know that's part one but then like being like oh well this this weapon you know we wouldn't want that use like it seems like it it seems like a massive like golden rule problem (laughs) Yeah, just right. like to be like, well, you know, right. It's like one of those Twitter uh, posts where it's like it's a retweet and they, they say something like they were so close. Yeah. You know? Yeah. <laughs> it, it just it just seems like we're kind of I mean, first of all, like missing missing some of the, you know, like study war no more, like swords mm-hmm. into plowshares, like turn the other cheek stuff. But like, I understand that that's a little idealistic. But then being like, well, these are the, you know, the techniques of warfare that are appropriate among Christians. Right. But then if Christians are fighting other people. Well, it's fair game. Then, you know, like, whatever. That's not really what it's supposed to be about. I was fine with the clue. I just wasn't annoyed by the the content, which I had not, I hadn't encountered that particular fact before. Sure. Um, the British call the Big Dipper the plow. I and they spell it with a G-H. Yeah. Every, everything is wrong about this. <laughs> yeah. Yep. I had no idea they had a different name for that constellation. Or yeah. asterism. Yeah, con- constellation, yeah. If it's part of Ursa Major. Eh, I don't know. I guess you can. I guess we're on a tr- trivia podcast. We can be specific about it. Like, I'm fine with not being pedantic about it, 
myself. Right. But. But we um, should be clear and correct about yeah. things. Fine. Whatever. Yeah. We should represent things well to our audience. Yeah. Anyway. Uh, Daily Double number one is in the California category at the $600 level. And Alex finds it as the 16th pick. Uh, he has 1200 at this point to Mateus 2000. Uh, Megan's in the red with negative 400. He makes it a true daily double, uh, which is a great move. I keep saying that, but it keeps <laughs> being true. And he gets the clue, this city located northwest of San Jose has a name that means tall tree. And he gets that one correct with Palo Alto. Yep. He also ran that category. Yeah. Being, being from California makes yes. sense. Very impressive. At the end of the Jeopardy round, Alex has the lead. Whoa. Uh, he has 6,000 to Mateus, 5,400. And Megan's still right in there with 2,000. We have the double Jeopardy categories, the 1720s, world capitals, anagrammed ungulates, biblical devotions, simply stellar, and let freedom sing. The $800 level, the colony's first divinity professor was Edward Wigglesworth at this college um, that is Harvard, which I knew, having, especially having studied religion at Harvard, um, Matea got that one, though. And there's a freshman dorm called Wigglesworth, which <laughs> cracks people up. Yeah, that's a funny name. Yeah. <laughs> it's a good, but imagine, imagine saying you live at Wigglesworth. Mm -hmm. The jokes. I can only imagine the yeah. jokes. Mm-hmm. I feel like it's like sort of a sort of a, a letdown um, for, you know, an 18 year old who feels like they've gotten into this very like uh, rarefied and, you know, prestigious uh, school. And then, and then like you're like in my in my freshman dorm, it's called Wigglesworth. <laughs> it's, it, 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 it's not a name that like sounds like it has a whole lot of gravitas. Indeed. Yeah, indeed. Maybe you just don't mention it. Yeah. Daily Double number two is in the 1720s uh, category. Just the next pick. It's pick number seven. And uh, Matea finds it. She is at 8,200. Alex is at 7,200. Megan is at 2,400. She wagers 3,000. Mm. That's, a, that's a, a, a heftier wager than normal, and it's probably good and she gets the clue on sunday april 5th dutch admiral jacob rogovin landed on what is now called this island 2200 miles west of chile and she gets it correct with what is easter island mm -hmm. and daily double number three is in the biblical devotions category which i thought was a nice solid category at the two thousand dollar level and alex finds it at the 24th pick He's at 14,000 to Matea's 19,200 and Megan's 4,000. Um, he's in a bit of a tricky position here, I thought, because if he wagers enough to take the lead and misses, that will put Matea in a lock position. So he has to decide whether he wants to try to actually take the lead or to wager conservatively enough that if he misses, he has a chance of catching back up. And uh, he doesn't wager quite enough to take the lead. 5,000. I guess maybe 50. If he wagered 5,200, drop it. Yeah, no. I would drop him to, if he misses here, it'll drop him to less than half of Matea's score, but close. 
Anyway, he wagers 5,000 and gets the clue. Many waters cannot quench love, neither can the floods drown it. It's from the eighth chapter of this biblical book. He does not know. He tries to figure it out. He comes up with what is Genesis. Um, I think he's zoomed in on the word flood, right? Which the, Mm -hmm. you know, the Noah and the flood that's in Genesis. I get, I get, I, I see where a person could get there, but that is love poetry from the book of the Bible that has the love poetry, the Song of Solomon. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that drops him down. So at the end of the double jeopardy round, Matea is at 20,000, Alex is at 12,600, and Megan is at 4,000. The final Jeopardy category is films of the 1950s, and the clue is the title character of this film has the same name as the Roman goddess of the dawn. This one took a little bit for me because it was a little bit tricky uh, I, when I referred to title character. Yeah. Um, I, I, it came to mind for me, and then I was like, Emily, you're just thinking about that because you watched it a few days ago. Hmm, yes. um, and then it turned out I was correct. I, I'd circled back to it by the time mm-hmm. we finished the thinking music, but sure. um, yeah. Megan got it correct with what is Sleeping Beauty, and of course mm-hmm. Sleeping Beauty's name is aurora aurora which is which is the name they were looking for um but she is also the title character uh megan wagered 3500 mm-hmm. uh, alex missed it with what is some like it hot <laughs> uh not sure who the title character is there uh and wagered 8000 and matea wrote what is sabrina uh which is also incorrect and wagered 5201 which was a cover bet but she remains the champion. Mm-hmm. We happened to watch Sleeping Beauty a few days ago, so it was on my mind. And when when that happens, I find, like, I, I'll be, like, you know, trying to, like, push myself to think past, you know, the, the things. Yeah. But, you know, sometimes something recent just happens to come up in trivia. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And on Friday, April 22nd, we have the contestants Anna Meyer a food technologist from Seattle, Washington, Claire Dozier, a nonprofit professional from Atlanta, Georgia, and Matea Roach, a tutor from Toronto, Ontario, Canada, whose 13-day cash winnings total $286,081. And we have the Jeopardy round categories drafting the Constitution, 1980s TV, animal vegetable mineral, old job names, all things being equal, and crossword clues K. I get a little mixed up sometimes when uh, clues from one category also happen to fit a different category. Yeah. As happened when we went from the final clue of crossword clues K into animal, vegetable, mineral at the $200 level, where there was a purplish variety of this leafy superfood that can be cooked or eaten raw. And Claire got that one. They had a picture. It was kale. Uh, Ken noted it was another K, but those kinds of things often throw me for a loop and I'll end up like on subsequent clues trying to think of, you know, like something that starts with a K that fits with the clue, even though we're not in the K category anymore. Mm -hmm. I had that same thought, like I immediately thought kale and then I was like, no, wait, am I thinking that because it's not because they just did the K category? It must be something different. Mm hmm. Yeah. Yeah, it can go it can go backwards like that also. Yeah, where you uh where you get the response and then 
start to reject it because it fits a different category. Yeah. Yeah. Which, of course, the writers can't do anything about. Like, mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> it just happened that they went to that clue next. There's a funny triple stumper in the animal, vegetable, mineral category at the $400 level. Um, so the next one down from the kale. Uh, while a mole is a, an insectivore, a vole belongs to this order. The They took the cue off of insectivore. Matea guessed what's an herbivore. Claire guessed what's a carnivore. And Anna guessed what's an omnivore. Um, but they were looking for rodent. Mm-hmm. Which is not any kind of vore necessarily. But it kind of it threw, I guess, I could see where they were coming from for sure. But they were looking for an order. And I don't think herbivore or carnivore is a particular order. Yeah. When they ask for an order, do you do you think you have to say rodentia or is rodents sufficient? I believe from my own experience, uh, I, I don't remember which game, but I, I believe there was a clue about something about some animal and what order it was in. And I said rodent and they accepted it. Mm. So I did not have to say rodentia. I wish I could remember which clue it was, but this particular clue made me remember, like have a have a flashback to saying what is rodent on Jeopardy. Mm, yeah, I think unless I'm just making that whole thing up. Hmm. The thousand dollar level of all things being equal, um, Fahrenheit and Celsius thermometers read the same at this chilly temperature. Uh, Materia tried what's negative thirty two. Claire tried what is zero. The correct response there is negative forty. And one way to help remember that, it doesn't give you the definitive answer, but if you at some point memorize that there's like a five-ninths or nine-fifths in the conversion, Mm -hmm. um, you know that you need to be a multiple of five below zero and a multiple of nine below 32, that may not help anybody, but no, That's knowing that still it, a bit of math, yeah, knowing that you need, knowing that it needs to end with a zero or a five, um, mm-hmm. has helped me because because thirty two is in my head. I have had uh, mix ups with thinking about thirty two or forty two, and then remembering that you know it it has to be a multiple of five has right. let me sort of keep in my head easily that it's negative forty. Right, Daily Double number one is in the old job names category at the $400 level. Uh, it's pick number 21. Claire finds that she's at zero. Matea's at 5,600. Anna's at 600. And she wagers 1,000. And gets the clue. In Latin, this food preparation job is carnifex. In medieval England, it also meant executioner. And Claire got it correct with what is a butcher. So at the end of the Jeopardy round... The scores are Matea at 5,600, Claire has dropped back to zero, and Anna is at negative 400. We get the double Jeopardy categories, flags of former countries, firsts, memorable movie melodies, French words in English, wine, as in W-H-I-N-E, and cheese, which of course pair well together. Matea did quite well in the cheese category. I assume... You also did well in the cheese category. I did do cheese well. Cheese is kind of your thing. Cheese is kind of my thing. Although I overthought the $1,600 level and was trying to think of something more obscure than the actual answer. The clue there was at a banquet during the Congress of Vienna, this four-letter French cheese took the title The King of Cheeses. I was trying to think of some, you know, something, you know, kind of 
obscure and you know very you know very fancy and and Matea got it with it, it's Brie Brie is the answer Brie, Brie is always the answer so true yeah you know? so yeah I did I did all right in the cheese category um they did not get the two thousand dollar level which was kind of a weird clue I'm not sure if this is how I would have written a clue for this particular cheese this smooth rich slightly sweet double or triple cream cheese from Italy works very nicely in a variety of brulees and they were looking for mascarpone as uh, as Kent pronounced it although I hear people say mascarpone around here usually yeah, all the time um, I, I guess probably the Italians pronounce the e at the end because that's how Italian how works. Italian works yeah but yeah, I don't, I don't usually think of brulees with, with mascarpone. mascarpone. Yeah, no. it's not a that's not a big connection for me. I I might have like I think maybe just saying in a variety of desserts I would have gotten there more easily. Yeah, um, yeah. because it is used in in many desserts, not just brulees. Not just brulees. I I googled mascarpone brulees and. You know, there they are, but mm-hmm. it's used in lots of kind of, you know, like cheesecakey kinds of things. It can be used in cannoli, in a cannoli filling. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, we had a funny uh, miss in the memorable movie melodies category. Um, a funny sort of a pairing of a, of a miss and a get, I guess. Uh, at the $400 level, the clue was, I am a man of constant sorrow, 2000. So they, they provide the t- song title and the year, and you're supposed to name the film. Matea tried What is Moulin Rouge, but Claire got it with Oh Brother, Where Art Thou? And then a few clues later at the $1,600 level, the clue was Lady Marmalade, 2001. And Claire got that one. That was the one for Moulin Rouge. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was fun. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Daily Double number two is in the firsts category at the $1,200 level. And Matea finds it as the 21st pick. She has 20400 at this point to Claire's 2800 and Anna's 2400 Uh She wagers just 2000 uh, She says that she is going to continue not learning from her mistakes. Um <laughs> Uh, she gets the clue on October 13th, 1983. The first call on a commercial cell phone was made to a grandson of this inventor. And she gets that one correct. It's Alexander Graham Bell. Which makes sense. Yeah. Uh, and Daily Double number three is in the wine category at the $1,200 level, the 26th pick. Uh, Anna finds it. She is at 3200 Matea is at 24400 And Claire is at 2800 And Anna bets it all. I think at this point, if she doubles up, there is enough left on the board. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that is probably a good choice. Uh, going all in or or mostly all in. She gets the clue, How doth the city sit solitary that was full of people? Is the first complaint in this Bible book of complaints. And she guesses, what is Leviticus? Which I think is more a book of rules than complaints. Yes. Um, but that's Lamentations. Yeah. So... At the end of the double jeopardy round, uh, Matea has a lock with a tw- with twenty six thousand to Claire's twenty eight hundred and Anna's sixteen hundred, and we have the final jeopardy category: historic names. And the clue: DNA from two living descendants of Anne of York was used to identify the remains of this man. 
Anna tried Who is Henry VIII? He's come up recently, but uh, he's not the correct <laughs> response here. <laughs> yeah, I suppose he has. Yeah. And uh, she wagered everything, so that drops her to zero. Uh, Claire tried Who is Genghis Khan? Uh, she says everyone's related to Genghis Khan. <laughs> um, <laughs> which is funny and true, um, but he's not correct. So uh, she's wagered 401. And that drops her to 2399. And Matea has the correct response with who is Richard III, whose body was discovered under a car park in Leicester a few years ago. Uh, so Matea's wagered 8,000. And that brings her up to 34,000, gives her her 14th win. And we will see her again on Monday. Yeah. Yeah. She is. She's just crushing. Mm hmm. Yeah. So this is the moment when we uh, take a break. Uh, before we move on to our deep dive, and we remind you that we have a Patreon. It's patreon.com slash potent potables. Um, you can go check that out if you have a few bucks a month to uh, help us offset the costs of making this podcast. We have some content behind the paywall there. N not a whole lot, honestly, um, but we do try to get the quiz questions up right after we record so that uh, subscribers can uh, can take a look at those before the podcast comes out, um, get a little sneak peek. So we also like to encourage you, if you uh, have to decide where to put your funds, um, to devote them to some of the bigger and more important things in this world than our Jeopardy podcast, uh, much as we love it. So a few that we care a lot about are blacklivesmatter.com, communityjusticeexchange.org, the Stop AAPI Hate GoFundMe, and Rescue.org. Uh, so go check those out if you are looking for a place to um, devote some resources to doing something good. And thanks. Yep. Yeah. So, Kyle, do you have deep dive guesses? Yes. Okay. I feel like you just recently did a, a Bible-adjacent deep dive it's but are we true but are we talking about song of solomon yes we are oh yes congratulations mm, i did it yeah w when we had two missed daily doubles in a week that were both bible books i was like well i've got to pick one of those <laughs> and i was like well i've done those uh, i've done you know i've done a lot of i've done a lot of religion ones recently and then i thought you know Religious topics can be, like, tricky to talk about in a public forum if you're, you know, if you're just kind of, if you're, if you're a general trivia person. Mm -hmm. um, and so I feel like these actually are not getting covered all that much in a lot of the trivia podcasts that I listen to, at least. So. Right. Because in the trivia context, you likely do not want to be preached at. Right. Right. And and the way you're going to be able to approach that information or like gain that information from people who know about it usually is through preaching. Yeah. Yeah. And I think uh, it can be touchy to like cover religion adjacent topics like well and respectfully. And a lot of I think a lot of folks are like, well, you know, I don't have expertise in that. And it's really important to people. So I'll just, you know, I'll just I'll just not cover that on, you know, like mm -hmm. of, all, of all the things in the world, you know, my trivia podcast will will not happen to cover that one this week, you know. And so if what I do is like disproportionately cover religion adjacent topics, like I, I'm willing to live with it, I think. Sure. 
Hopefully the listeners are as well. I don't know. Um, anyway, so yeah, I was, uh, we are, I, I looked at Song of Songs or Lamentations as a couple of, uh, missed clues that I thought would be especially good options and, uh, decided to talk about Song of Solomon or Song of Songs a little bit. Uh, the clue there was in the biblical devotions category on Thursday at the $2,000 level. Many waters cannot quench love, neither can the floods drown it, is from the eighth chapter of this biblical book. Um, and the answer there is Song of Solomon. Um, or, as I said, Song of Songs. Either title is correct. Song of Songs is an ancient Hebrew text. Uh, it is considered scripture within the Jewish and Christian traditions. Uh, within the Jewish canon, it is considered one of the Megillot, I hope I pronounced that correctly. Uh, That means scrolls um, found in the last section of the Tanakh, which is the kind of broader Jewish canon. Tanakh is um, the it's the uh, Torah, the Nevi'im, which is prophets and the Ketuvim, which is writings. So it's part of the Ketuvim. It's the writings within the writings. There's something called the five scrolls or the, the Megillot, which are the Song of Songs the Book of Ruth, the Book of Lamentations, Ecclesiastes, and the Book of Esther. So that's that's kind of how it fits in in the Jewish canon. In Christianity, the books of the Bible are kind of arranged and classified somewhat differently. Um, and so in the Christian Old Testament canon, Song of Songs is considered a wisdom book, along with Job, Psalms, Proverbs, and Ecclesiastes. And um, in Catholicism and the Eastern Orthodox Christian tradition, the Wisdom of Solomon and Sirach, uh, also known as Ecclesiasticus, uh, are both considered wisdom books as well. Song of Songs is unusual among biblical books in that it focuses on romantic and and sexual love. There are two books in the Bible that do not mention God. Song of Songs is one. Do you happen to know what the other one is, Kyle? That does not mention God. Uh huh. Is it an obscure one? Is it like one? It's of- not. It's not an especially obscure one. Okay. Um, yeah. It's not time for the quiz, so maybe I shouldn't be putting you on the spot. I don't know, but this um, is interesting. It, it, what is it? I don't know. It's Esther. Oh, really? Yeah. I mean, I guess. I mm-hmm. guess it's just a, it's a, the story about Esther. Yep. Uh, huh. Yep. You in both cases, uh, people have come up with you know interpretations of sort of how it fits in with God and faith and spirituality and religion. But but in neither one is God mentioned. Hmm. Yeah. Although I should say, for Song of Songs, there is one place where there is a suffix that could be an intensifier that that is most translators agree it is an intensifier but it could be it it is it's like ya um and so it could be like a contraction of the name of god hmm. possibly but it, it it is it's an intense it's a word that's used in as an intensifier it makes more sense as an intensifier but you can find a handful of translations where someone has decided to add an of the Lord Mm -hmm. um, in one place in Song of Songs. Uh, Song of Songs offers uh, no clue to its author 
or the date, place, or circumstances of its composition. Wait, you're saying it says of Solomon, right, in the title. Yes, it does. Uh, so the superscription states that it is Solomon's song. Mm-hmm. Uh, but even if this is meant to identify the author, um, it can't be read as strictly as a similar statement would be in modern times. Right. Yeah. That's, that's Authorship was not thought of in the same way at right. that time intellectual yeah. property was not as big a yeah. concern mm-hmm. yeah um and so even if it were intended to say like this is this is you know solomon's song it, it could be from the court of solomon or like whatever but yeah so and the superscription was added likely af- much after its composition the most reliable evidence for its date has to do with its language. Aramaic replaced Hebrew gradually after the end of the Babylonian exile. Um, And so we see linguistic shifts after that date. Different scholars place the text at different points from the 10th century BCE, which is when King Solomon was alive, to the 2nd century BCE. But the strongest kind of... uh, consensus places it around the third century BCE or so. And there's debate over whether it originated as an anthology or like a compilation of earlier works or whether it originated as a single coherent work. Um, Those who see it as an an anthology um, point to the abrupt shifts of scene within the book, uh, shifts of scene, shifts of speaker, shifts of subject matter, Um, And that there's not an obvious structure or narrative. Those who hold it to be a single poem um, point out uh, the repetitions and similarities among its parts. And that there are limited kind of internal signs of, of composite origins. The introduction calls the poem the Song of Songs. That's a construction that was commonly used in scriptural Hebrew to show, to, uh, kind of show something to be the, the greatest or, um, highest example of its class. So like, think of like the holy of holies, right? Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. and the poem proper begins with the, um, there, there are two, there are two figures in the poem. There are an unnamed woman and man. Um, and then there's kind of a chorus of women. So the poem begins with the woman, uh, expressing desire for her lover and describing herself to the daughters of Jerusalem, the kind of chorus of women. There's some interesting translation stuff there um, in her self-description. And uh, when people, when I'm talking about like race and biblical translation, this is something that I like to point to. Um, there is, there's like a Hebrew conjunction, conjunction that can mean and but it usually means and or generally gets translated as and, but sometimes it means but. You know, there's like ambiguity there. And the woman describes herself as black and lovely or black but lovely. Hmm. Um, and which of those translations people go for in our modern context is very telling. telling. It's yeah. telling. <laughs> um, uh, whether you see those two adjectives as you know, sort of in tension with each other and say, oh, well, of course, it's supposed to be a but, um, or whether you see them as, you know, fitting together and using the and that would be usually the, you know, how we would translate that conjunction. 
A dialogue between the lovers follows. Uh, they sort of compete in offering flattering compliments. And the section closes with the woman telling the daughters of Jerusalem not to stir up or awaken love until it's ready. Um, uh, she recalls a visit from her lover in the springtime. She uses imagery from a shepherd's life. Uh, she says of her lover that he pastures his flock among the lilies. She speaks to the daughters of Jerusalem. She describes her fervent and uh, ultimately successful search for her lover through the streets of the city at night. And she describes bringing him to her chamber. And then she says that this is a dream that she saw on her bed at night and uh, warns them again not to awaken love until it's ready. Uh, the next section talks about a royal wedding procession. Uh, there's a mention of Solomon um, and the daughters of Jerusalem are invited to come out and see the spectacle. Um, and then we hear from the man again, describing his beloved. And like some of these analogies in the Song of Songs are like very funny to modern ears. Her hair is like a flock of goats. Her teeth are like shorn ewes. Um, mm -hmm. uh, her neck is like the Tower of David. Uh, her smell is like the scent of Lebanon. And uh, he hastens to summon his beloved... And then comes a section, which is the, the garden poem, where she is described as a locked garden. And then she invites him to enter the garden and taste the fruits thereof. People are very shocked that this is in the Bible. It's, uh, <laughs> Why? Oh, is, I, I don't, I don't know. What does know. that mean? I don't know. I don't know. It's... <laughs> Many a pastor has has said to um like teaching a confirmation class said said to the confirmants now guys like I know you think the Bible is boring <laughs> check this <laughs> just, out just just go home and look up the Song of Songs <laughs> uh yeah so the man accepts the invitation to the garden um and is told to eat drink and be drunk with love the woman describes another dream where she was in her chamber when her lover knocked. Uh, she was slow to open, and when she did, he was gone. She searched through the streets again, but this time failed to find him. And the watchman who had helped her before now beat her. She asks the daughters of Jerusalem to help her find him. She describes his good looks. Um, eventually, she says her lover is in his garden, safe from harm. The man describes the woman again. Uh, she describes a rendezvous they've shared. This, there's some um, possible corruption in the text in this section, like, like, we possibly don't have, like, a full and complete text. There's, like, the people praising the woman's beauty. There's a lot of place names in some of the, in this particular description of her. Hmm. Um, uh, pools of Hebron, Gate of Bathra, Beam, Tower of Damascus, those kinds of things. The man, <laughs> so funny summarizing this, uh, states his intention to enjoy the fruits of her garden. She invites him to the fields with her. Um, she again warns the daughters of Jerusalem not to awaken love until it's ready. And then at the, at the end, we have this uh, famous portion that was quoted, um, set me as a seal on your heart, as a seal on your arm, for love is strong as death. Um, Passion fierce as the grave. Its flashes are flashes of fire, a raging flame. Many waters cannot quench love, neither can floods drown it. If one offered for love all the wealth of one's house, it would be utterly scorned. And uh, the poem closes with the woman 
summoning her beloved in similar language to what she used at the beginning to make haste and be like a gazelle or a young stag upon the mountains of spices. <laughs> um, so it's, uh, let's see, have, have nice. I, are there any like super famous quotations I haven't, that I haven't highlighted here? Um, I am my beloved's and my beloved is mine. That one comes up a lot. I've heard a lot of settings of uh, musical settings of rise up my love, my fair one and come away for lo, the winter is past the spring. The, it was, what is it? The rain is over and gone. Something like that. Mm. Anyway. Uh, so song of songs was um, accepted into the Jewish canon of scripture in the second century CE. So, um, you know, we said, it was probably written not later than the second century BCE, more likely the third century or, you know, somewhere in there. Um, so, you know, probably about 500 years after it's written, it is sort of firmly accepted as as, uh, as the canon of scripture is kind of coming together. Uh, there was a period of controversy where many rabbis saw this text as more secular love poetry or collection of love songs and not worthy of, you know, consideration as scripture, mm -hmm. per se. Uh, it was accepted as canonical because of its uh, supposed authorship by Solomon, um, and based on an allegorical reading where the subject matter was taken to not be like desire between two lovers, um, but instead, love between God and Israel, you know, the mm -hmm. God's people. The Rabbi Akiva was a particularly you know is a, is a particularly famous rabbi um in the tradition who really advocated for its inclusion and reportedly said he who sings the song of songs in wine taverns treating it as if it were a vulgar song forfeits his share in the world to come um so hmm. yeah uh the christian church's interpretation of song of songs of course is a little bit different but you know comparable as an allegory of God's love for the church um, or God's people, both collectively and individually. The early church father Origen uh, was particularly instrumental in sort of shaping that interpretation. And then later interpreters added kind of other layers to it. Um, the idea of the church as the bride of Christ. Uh, mm -hmm. So the female figure in Song of Songs is the church because we use bride imagery for the church um, and the male figure would be Christ. There's There have been some interpretations associating the female figure with the Virgin Mary. Uh, St. Bernard of Clairvaux uh, famously wrote 86 sermons on the Song of Songs. He was working on a sequence of sermons and he died with it incomplete, having written 86 of them. Uh, he, was a, he was a 12th century figure oh okay gotcha um, nothing yeah. else to do yeah um i mean some of these like church father sermons it, are it's it's interest it's fascinating to read and uh you know i get critical of contemporary preachers who you know are supposedly preaching on the text but like you know start from the text and then wander off never to return you know right. <laughs> but like very much so also uh with uh the centuries prior um but i haven't read any of bernard of clairvaux's stuff so i can't really speak to whether whether that was the case there and uh there have been 
really more um, musical settings, art and theater and film and novels with titles inspired by the Song of Songs than I could conceivably mention here. But I will I, I will just say it is a rich source for cultural references. Mm. Yeah. And a short little book, honestly. You can read Song of Songs in like, I don't know, 15, 20 minutes. And uh, yeah, that's pretty much it. Oh, I should, I guess I should note in Hebrew, Song of Songs is Shir Hashirim. So if you ever encounter that, you can know that is Song of Songs, Shir Hashirim. Yep. Okay. Yeah. So that's Song of Songs. Cool. I didn't have too, too much about it, but yeah, now I- you know. Yeah, I haven't I haven't read it. I I like I know I know of it and I have thought in the past I should take the time to read it, but I've never actually sat down and done it. So There are parts of it that are that are very racy and then there are parts where you're like, "Oh wow, like <laughs> the the uh this ancient love poetry, they really like comparing people's body parts to sheep and goats. Like they really <laughs> see that seemed to work for them." Well, hey. Um <laughs> if it's what you know. Yeah. Yeah, it's so it is uh it's alternately racy and like sort of, you know, very funny in terms of like how the how the imagery has not held up in a different in a different context. Sure. Um yeah. Anyway, um are you ready for a quiz? I am. All right. Um you are starting with 10 points. Congratulations. Yes. This never happens. Yeah. Um, and my questions are kind of short here today. I didn't Great. flesh them out a whole lot. They are, they are to the point. All right. So this, this quiz is a song of quiz. Okay. Let's start with kind of the most direct connection. Uh, the novel Song of Solomon was written by what American novelist and Nobel laureate? Uh, her novel Beloved won the Pulitzer Prize in 1987. Well, that would be Toni Morrison. It is, in fact, Toni Morrison. Um, Yeah. Haven't read Song of Solomon. Have I read Song of Solomon? I read Beloved. I read Sula. I... Did I read The Bluest Eye? Or do I just know about it? I don't remember. (laughs) I think... I read The Bluest Eye, but I didn't read Song of Solomon. Okay. Yeah. And I haven't read Beloved yet. It's actually on my list for this year. Oh, it's very good. Yeah. All right. Well, I'm looking forward to it. Yeah. And Toni Morrison died in 2019. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. All right. You're at 20 points. Um, this is kind of the most obliquely connected to the theme. Bird vocalizations are divided by ornithologists and birders into two categories, by and large. The song of birds is often complex. It's complex. That's that's the the tie-in. I had to change bird song to song of birds. The song of birds is Mm -hmm. complex. It often has syllabic diversity and temporal regularity. Um, It serves functions including territoriality and courtship and mating. Um, What name is given to the other major category of bird vocalizations? Uh, These vocalizations are typically shorter, less complex, and often serve functions including uh, sounding alarms and maintaining contact with other members of the flock. So there's bird song. Mm Mm-hmm. 
the mm, the the only other term I can think of is bird call. So I'm going to go with bird calls. Bird calls is correct. Nice. Yeah. Um, yeah, there's some debate over, you know, sort of how to define those two terms and some ambiguity on some, but like by and large, like the, the bird people seem to um, mostly agree on what is a song and what is a call. The bird people. <laughs> the bird people. Yeah. All right. Question three. Harkening back to my recent vacation, Disney World's Splash Mountain ride is slated to be rethemed. It is going to be about the princess and the frog. Um, however, the attraction as it stands is currently based on what controversial 1946 film? Uh, I see the connection. Uh, this is Song of the South. That's right. It is Song of the South, which you cannot find on, Dis- on Disney+. Plus. Um, or Disney has, you know, tried to pre- pretty much, like, just wipe that film off the map. Yeah. Um, yeah, because of some really problematic racial stuff. Yeah, and if you take out, if you try to take that that out and leave the rest, there's actually not much left, mm-hmm. really. Yeah. But we get the song zippity doo so. Yes, yes we do. Yeah, and I think Splash Mountain has survived up to this point because there's not too, too much story there. And so it's just like there's some like rare rabbit stuff. Right. Yeah. I got on Splash Mountain, not totally realizing what a long ride it is oh it's very um, long until it's you a act- really long ride yeah until you finally get to the end yeah 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 it's got like all of these like little boat rides through scenes with music and animatronics and then the big drop i was sort of mm-hmm. expecting that we would just sort of you know like get cranked up and then drop down yeah you know? it's, it's like- not just a log flume mm-hmm. kind of thing yeah anyway uh hey this is going great um you're at 40 points and question four do i dare to eat a peach is one of the many frequently quoted lines from this t.s Eliot poem that we've talked about many times on the podcast oh nuts uh <laughs> i think i think i know which one you're talking about but i always i i get things mixed up a lot especially when it comes to poetry I am going to go with... Oh, but it's a song. So the love song of J. Alfred Prufrock. That is correct. Okay. Yep. Gotcha. Whew. I got the connection. So I yep. felt more, more confident there. Wait, what What were you going to head for before you remembered it needed to include song of? That's what I was going to go for anyway, but I wasn't as sure. Because I was like, is this from the Wasteland? I don't think so. Mm-hmm. Is this in Uncle Papager's cat? anthology whatever the hell it's called (laughs) yeah um yeah well nice work oh my gosh you're at 50 points Mm. and question five uh the song of the summer so there's the there's the theme you don't need to be looking for a song Mm. of at this point Mm. the song of the summer is named annually by billboard uh based on charts from memorial day to labor day the 2021 song of the summer was butter by what K-pop band? Butter? Yes. Ah, oh, geez, Louise. Um, I'm not going to spend much time trying to think on this because I only know one K-pop band, so I'm going to say BTS. BTS is the answer. Nice. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's um, a safe guess for yeah. a, a big hit, but... What was the 2020 song of the summer? When was Despacito? Oh, that was that was way back, my I friend. Think. 
Oh uh, my gosh, when was Despacito? <laughs> it wasn't that long ago. Was it 2019? Um, 20, couldn't have been 2018. Couldn't have already I, been four I, years. I think it was before that. Don't do that. It was, Kyle, Despacito was 2017. You're you're lying, and I don't appreciate it. <laughs> the The song of the summer in 2019 was Old Town Road. Okay. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Oh, that's right. Um, we had an entire two years of pandemic, so. Right. Sorry. Which Fine. is Somehow going to be that. messing with my sense of time for the entire rest of my life. Yeah. You are at 60 points. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. As we had very nice work. And the final category is composers. Well, then I think I have to bet it all. I was going to bet it do. all no matter what. But yeah. Let's do this. All right. Song of Joy is an alternate title of Andy Freuda, a poem by Friedrich Schiller, most famously set by whom? (laughs) Uh, I want to make a joke, but that's Beethoven. It is Beethoven. (laughs) The finale for his Ninth Symphony. Yes. Although the poem also has been set by other people, Mm -hmm. um, including, was it Schubert or Schumann? Uh, That's hard to know. Because both of them wrote leader, though Schubert is kind of better known for it. Yeah. Wrote, wrote poetic, like, art song as well. Schubert. Schubert. I just yeah. found the... I found okay. where I found it. Yes. Uh, yeah, so Schubert set the same text. There are, there are a number of other settings of that same text. Uh, some of them by composers whose names I recognize. But yes, most famously, Beethoven. For the Ode to Joy. Yes. And then his tune was adapted as a hymn tune in many a church. Mm-hmm. Um, yep. All right. Hey, uh, I often think I've written an overly easy quiz and I'm usually wrong. So um, <laughs> we're going to assume that, you know, this is an appropriately leveled quiz and that you, you really um, blew it out of the water. Nice job. Thank you. It feels very good. 120 yeah. points. I I can live with that. Yep. Congratulations. The absolute maximum that is possible. I mean, unless occasionally one of us like somehow right. comes up with something that has like bonus points attached, but yeah. like for our standard yeah. game mm-hmm. feels nice. Yeah. Um, well, thanks, Kyle, for uh, making a podcast with me of and course. listening to me talk about weird, random parts of the Bible. Sure. Um, and thanks, listeners, for spending your time with us. Make sure to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Leave a rating or review, if you would. If you want to check out our Patreon, it's patreon.com slash potentpotables. And if you have friends who watch Jeopardy, let them know about our podcast. You can all find us on Facebook at Potent Potables, on Twitter at Potent Potables 1. Our email address is potentpotablescast at gmail.com, and our website is potentpod.com. Mm-hmm. And uh, some of us will be back next week. I will be back next week with a guest host uh, to, to be, de- be announced. Yes. <laughs> uh, um, yeah, so I'll be back next week. And until then, may your minds be quick and your buzzers be quicker. Yeah.